welcome to Movie Geeks United, everybody. It's Blu-ray night, so Adam is joining us, of course. Hey, Adam. Hello, hello. And uh, Dean <laughs> is here as well, of course. Exactly. Uh, yes, hello. And uh, Jerry is on assignment in El Salvador uh, teaching sign language to orphan amputees. Uh, so we'll be back next week. I, I hope he's safe. That's all I have to say. Yeah, yeah. I hope he's. Yeah. I hope I hope he's well protected. Well, it's it's meaningful work, I think. Yes. So. Yeah, that's it's true. You got to take a break from this <laughs> all this flippant kind of stuff that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Okay. I want I wanted to bring up something before uh, before Dean whatever you want to bring up and then Adam's Blu-ray. Uh, we, it seems like every single week we start a show with like a rest in peace. Like it's a, crazy. Yeah. It, it's it really been yeah. the last three or four shows uh, mm-hmm. where yeah, it's 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 overwhelming really. But I guess it'll keep going, you know. Yeah. With, uh, yeah. Here we yeah. go again. And this week, of course, is um, this week, of course, is Flip Wilson. Uh, no, uh, it's uh, such a loss. <laughs> <laughs> Toby. <laughs> Uh, and we were just talking about him the other week in connection to Poltergeist. And just mm-hmm. last week, I watched uh, Salem's Lot. Like, I was curious to revisit it. So, uh, yeah. So let me just preface this by saying that, you know, when I was 12, I saw the, the movie that made me fall in love with movies, which was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But even before that, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the first movie that made an impact on me. Uh, it traumatized me, and to this day, I've never seen a scarier movie. Um, so, regardless of his merits or uh, and some of his career after that point, uh, most of his career after that point, uh, it accounts for something that, for me, he made the scariest movie ever. So he he always kind of held a special place in my heart for that reason. Yeah, I mean, he worked incredibly hard to do it too. Uh, that was a uh, that was a very very tough movie uh, for mm-hmm. everybody involved with it, um, you know. And uh, I think all of that uh, shows in the film. Um, yeah. And also, he had really good. He had excellent instincts uh, for making a film of that type. You know, instead of going for, you know, the gore and and so forth, he made it horrifying without that. Um and uh yeah. uh using using all of the classical tools, you know, the editing, the sound, the uh uh the camera placement, uh um all of that uh, uh you know, work together, and I, I agree. I think it's still, uh, it's, it remains one of the scariest movies ever made. I mean, pure scares, you know, pure, pure unsettling uh, fright. Yeah, I mean, that's it. It's not, it's not boo jumping out of a corner scary. It, it is mm-hmm. like get, get into your marrow. This movie is frightening, kind of. It never yes. lets up. It's unrelenting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you feel sort of jangled afterwards uh after watching it. Um and uh 
and, and it really puts you into Marilyn Burns, you know, the lead. Uh, it, it puts you into her place, uh, you know, particularly, of course, in the last half. Um, uh, to the point where, you know, uh, uh, pretty much unlike any other movie of its type, <clears throat> except for maybe Halloween, uh, when you know, and this is not a spoiler. If you haven't seen this, you you really need to <laughs> go out and see some movies. But uh, you know, when she gets away at the end of the movie, uh, pretty much unlike any other movie except for Halloween, you feel an immense sense of relief um, that's uh, built yeah. up this 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 kind of release mm-hmm. that's. Uh, uh, that Hooper worked very hard to, uh, and the cast too, worked very hard to uh, to to get on screen. You know, uh, I, I, it's an extraordinary movie, and like Orson Welles said, you only need one. You yep. only need yeah, one. Yeah, and the thing, and the thing that makes Halloween and Chainsaw different, and look, Halloween is the, is as equally an accomplished film. Halloween feels. Uh, almost mystical in a way, like he's the boogeyman, he's the unknowable. And I know that Toby Hooper said that he patterned Texas Chainsaw off of some kind of concept of a grim fairy tale kind of thing. But what makes that movie work for me is the absolute realness of it. The absolute, like, you are there, almost documentary, grimy feel of it. And unlike something like Last House on the Left, which has a similar feel, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has is really artistically done. I would argue that there's as much uh, artistic merit to a Chainsaw Massacre as there is to something like Psycho, in terms of the photography, in terms of the, like you said, Dean, convincing you that you're seeing much more than you are. I mean, the title alone is more graphic, really, than, than much of what's shown in the film. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's an, it's an extraordinary movie. Adam, what yeah. do you think? Obviously, there's no question. His his legacy is Texas Chainsaw, even mm-hmm. though he's done other work. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of quite a few of those early uh, things that he did. Uh, Texas Chainsaw, I'm, I'm like you. Uh, I saw it right after I first got a VCR, which was in the fall of 85. That was uh, the first VCR I ever got, and uh, uh, it wasn't shown on cable in those days, so the only way to see it was to rent it on your you know, VCR or whatever, and uh, of course that was one of the first, that was on my list, on my bucket list of, I've got to get to this, this is something I've heard about, and um, uh, ironically, it was also the final film that they ran in the, in the, uh, the downtown walk-in theater that I uh, spent a lot of time at when I was a kid the same theater where I saw Star Wars and the 76 King Kong. It was the final film because they reissued it in 81. So it it was the final film they ran at that theater before they closed it down. So that's always something that stood out in my mind. But, yeah, again, I had the same reaction as you guys. It just uh, very disturbing. Um, As I've gotten older and and gone back and revisited it, uh, I'm I'm very impressed with the technical, his choice of shots, his his editing choices, uh, how it all works in tandem with, you know, the story being told. And, uh, yeah, and and you're talking about the end of it. Uh, Yeah, you do feel that sense of relief 
But then you stop to think about it, and you're like, well, what kind of a life is she really going to have? Afterwards? Yeah. So it makes you it makes you think, you know. Also, yeah. when it when it's over, how how, uh, how, how is she going to survive the the post trauma? You know, right. You know, uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah. I mean, once that thing gets going, once that thing gets going, it's constant hysteria. Yeah. Right up until the very last second of the movie, it never never stops. Yeah. And you know, they're outtakes of the movie, and I've seen them, but I hated watching them. I just had to do it out of curiosity because I didn't want to – I wanted to keep it in my mind that this isn't actually a film because the movie is so effective. There's no yeah. barrier. There's no barrier between you and and the film. There's no, like, kind of movie-ish bullshit that lets you know, yeah, this is this – is, this is a movie. Obviously, you know in your logical mind that it's a movie, but, the, but yeah. there's there's you know you know what I mean. There's no barrier there between the audience mm-hmm. and, the, and and the film itself. Yeah, and yeah. The, you know the the uh, the thing is too that uh, the movie is unsettling from the very beginning. Uh, of course, you know when you see those pictures flash on the screen and so forth and. Um, you're like, what's happening here? And the John Larroquette narration is unsettling, and and then uh, also the uh, um, all the interplay between the characters in the van is also even that stuff is like, uh, you know, makes you, yeah. you know, the stuff with uh, the guy in the wheelchair and everything, and how uh, you know obnoxious he is, and. And uh, how you can feel that everybody kind of <laughs> there's no real connection to people in the band for some reason. I don't know. There's it's it's all all of it. <laughs> it's just yeah. uh, every every yeah. bit of it is is uh, it, it just it works on your nerves. And um, you know, I mean, you know, the um, Museum of Modern Art, you know, uh, famously accepted it as one of its one of one of its prints that. I think one of the first prints that they bought, uh, but um, very yeah, very much. And you know what's interesting? Dan- Daniel Pearl was the cinematographer of Chainsaw, the original, mm-hmm. and then the remake. And and he he has two works in at MoMA, uh, Chainsaw and Michael Jackson's Billie Jean video. Uh, and when he did the remake, he said, "I want to make something that looks completely different from the original." And say what you will about the remake. But every single horror movie after that point has copied the, that kind of tobacco hue look of that remake. Uh, mm. So even that was influential just in terms of a cinematography standpoint for mm. the genre. Uh, what yeah, else I have agree. we been impressed with with, with Toby? Uh, for myself, I thought that Salem's Lot was a very effective TV movie. I saw that when it originally aired back in the fall of 79, and I just... It unnerved me so so much at that time that I actually had a crucifix beside my bed. I, <laughs> I was that unnerved by that film. I, I just I think there's, you know, some really really good stuff, really effective staging of some scenes in that, that film and uh that, that really the imagery stays with you uh years and years later after having seen it and you know, maybe it it's a, because I saw it at a pivotal time, you know, when I was nine years old, maybe that had something to do no, with it, but I, I mean, I, 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 I saw it. I literally saw it a couple of weeks ago, 
and mm-hmm. and there are moments like the the kid floating with the glowing eye scratching on the window. Oh yeah, that, uh, that's the I mean, moment. It, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the moment for the movie is when anything yeah. is floating outside of the window and scratching on the. <laughs> I mean, every it, kid who it, saw that with James, back then. James Mason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, for me, for me, the dramatic moments aren't so. I, I did wa- I watched it not too long ago too, and uh, the dramatic moments with David Soul and 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 Mason and, and so forth, uh, those aren't those aren't you know very memorable to me. True it, true. it really boils down to you know when you're when you're seeing the vampire and when you're seeing the kid. Uh, th- those are the those are the scenes yeah. that people remember, I think. And that oh, the, that the, vampire Reggie Nalder, I guess is his name. Uh, the guy yes. who played the vampires, it, it, that that was very effective, you know, makeup and so forth. And of course, you know, you've, then you've got Poltergeist, which you know, yeah. uh, I think it's been pretty pretty well affirmed that it's Spielberg who's the real director of it. Um, but even the uh, the debate over who directed that has kept. Hooper's name alive uh, uh, in the, I guess in the kept kept his name in the conversation. I guess uh, yeah. e- even when his when his output has you know dramatically, I mean he's he's kept working uh, all this time on a lot of TV stuff and uh, you know. Certainly, horror movie fans know know the Toolbox Murders and and Mortuary and and Eaten Alive and so forth. Uh, uh, but uh, those those aren't movies that you know. And of course, there's there's Invaders from Mars and Life Force. Uh, you know, big fans will stick up for these movies. Uh, but I don't. When you have when a director has a movie like. Texas Chainsaw Massacre under their belt already. Uh, do they really need anything else to, to, yeah. <laughs> to underline underline their talent? Uh, you know, I mean, it's good that he kept working, uh, but um, you know, it's it's always going to yeah, be about and you Chainsaw. Know, with, with, yeah, absolutely. And with Poltergeist, I will say that I mean, there'll, there'll be people that argue that no, it was Toby Hooper, no, it was Spielberg. There's there's two different camps. There's two different camps on the movie itself. People that worked mm-hmm. on the movie that will say different things. But I will say Toby Hooper was hired by Spielberg because Spielberg loves Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and mm-hmm. so it was 100% based on Hooper's talent. And now it's so weird because two weeks ago I watched Salem's Lot. Last Friday or a couple of days ago, I put in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, which is wildly different from the first Chainsaw. Uh, And I think by design, because he probably knew that trying to replicate that first one, which is, I'm sure, what Cannon wanted when they hired him to do it, uh, would be a fool's errand. That it it can't be done. There's, there's There's a kismet that happened on that first film that can't be replicated. Um, so he went a completely different way, and it's uh, it's an acquired taste, if uh, pardon the pun, 
you know, if you ever manage to acquire it at all. I I, I don't. I mean, there are moments in it that I, I like watching, um, but uh, on the whole, it's it's like an incredible d- disappointment, especially for someone that yeah. loved the first one. Mm-hmm. It's oh, comedic, isn't it? I've never seen it. But, it is. Uh, it is. They play it mostly okay. for laughs, yeah. And, and I, I remember I was so excited about the prospect of that because I had, you know, it was an, it yeah. was announced right after I saw the first one, and uh, and that was in fall of '85. I started hearing blurbs about it, you know, and I thought, oh man, I can't wait, I can't wait. And then, then when I saw it, <laughs> so That's, a different story. Yeah, I'm the same way. Uh, but uh, right. I mean, well, I, okay. I'm kind so of, we... yeah. I was just going to say, I'm kind of a fun, fan of the Fun House. I think there's some good stuff there from 1981. Uh, I, I, I kind of like that one, um, of the ones that he did post-Texas Chainsaw. And uh, and there's a TV movie he did with Anthony Perkins called I'm Dangerous Tonight from 1990 that's kind of worth checking out. It's not perfect, but it has some interesting stuff going on, too. So, anyway, just for whatever's worth uh, I want to bring up one other thing before I turn the show over to the, you guys, and that's this Gone with the Wind thing. Uh, so mm. the Orpheum Theater, I think, is in Tennessee. They have an annual summer program in which the showing of Gone with the Wind is a tradition. This past uh, showing, they got a lot of complaints, I guess, that the film is racist, that it's immoral, irresponsible for, of the venue to show it. So caving into that, <clears throat> wanting to be a family-friendly venue, uh, they vowed to stop showing Gone with the Wind. Mm. And I, I will just say this. <clears throat> People need to grow the fuck up. Uh, yeah. Secondly, mm-hmm. <laughs> secondly yeah. I mean, there's a lot of value in Gone with the Wind, obviously. It is it is complicated in our modern culture because there are elements of it that that we we should be uncomfortable with. That's fine, you know. History, film history, American history, whatever history, is all about context. You know, figure out what the hell the movie, the the time in which the film was made. The, the the point of view of the characters represented in the film, and if it's inconsistent with what's conceivable of those characters at that time, then you can complain. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, like, okay, so let's let me bring up a movie like Das Boat, for instance. Okay, so we've got Das Boat, great movie. Uh, no one can dispute that Das Boat is a great movie, but it's about Nazis trying to win the war over the Allies. But does does it make it does does it because it's about Nazis and you're rooting for the it actually makes you root for them. You want the submarine to get past all the depth charges. You want them to survive. Uh, but does that because it's about Nazis? Does it make it a movie that's uh, that can't be shown anymore? This is the same kind of thing that's going on with Gone with the Wind. Uh, yes, there's uh, there's some uh, uh, there are some offensive things, you know, like you know Vivian Lee slapping Butterfly McQueen, you know, uh, after you know mess, you know 
uh, lying about whether she can uh, birth Melanie's baby or not. Uh, and <clears throat> I, I guess some people might see the subservience of uh, Mammy and Big Sam as uh, uh, some kind of, I guess, uh, an insult to the to the to the black race. I, I'm I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, maybe that's a problem with my own, you know, inherent, I guess, racism. I suppose. Uh, I I think they're treated with respect in the movie, uh, but I don't think the movie is about uh, slavery. Uh, uh, I really, you know, some, uh, Jeffrey Wells wrote something that's really good, and I want to quote it here. It's a movie about a a struggle to survive under ghastly conditions, and b about how, how those with brass and gumption often get through the rough patches better than those who embrace goodness and generosity and playing by the rules. This is a fundamental human truth. And if you ask me, the reason God with the Wind has resonated for so long is that generation after generation has recognized this. If you want to survive, you have to be tough and scrappy and sometimes worry about the proprieties later later on. Anyone who's ever faced serious adversity understands the eloquence of that classic Scarlet O'Hara line, I'll never be hungry again. Uh, Gone with the Wind particularly connected with 1939 audiences because they saw it as a parable of the deprivations that people had gone through during the Great Depression. I think those are very, that's very, very, a very, very smart uh, assessment of, I mean, you know, I mean, you're right, people have to grow up. And uh, I don't think that uh, if we're going to start throwing out Gone with the Wind, the biggest movie ever made, literally. <laughs> if yeah. we're going to start throwing that kind of thing out, then pretty much all of film history is up on the board to be thrown out, too. Yeah. So if that's what you want to do, <laughs> if you want to just throw out all of history because – they weren't quite up to the level of uh, uh, compassion that we supposedly have now, even though it really doesn't seem like things really have changed all that much. <laughs> uh, then, uh, okay, <laughs> no more movies. Yeah. I mean, you it's know, in the air. So. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it's in the air now, because Gone of the Wind has been around for almost eighty years now. Uh, so and and it's the academics have argued over this stuff, but in terms of the general public, uh, it hasn't really been any point of contention. Uh, people have fully embraced that movie because they they love the journey of the Kaido character, you know the the in, entitled snobby bitch that uh, <laughs> that <laughs> finds her finds her self-sufficiency and pulls up her bootstraps and finally blossoms into a woman uh, mm-hmm. by the end of it, you know. Uh, that's the, And they like the romance between her and Clark Gable that gets her to that point. I mean, uh, it's really simple. That's what the movie is about. It's, it's not about the Civil War. It's not about slavery. It's about her giving up her childish love of Ashley Wilkes, this childish uh, sort of fantasy love, and moving on to even past uh, 
you know, romance, using romance as a way to define herself, and really uh, moving past that into uh, into a um, and morphing herself into like a successful businesswoman who can operate as an independent. She doesn't yeah. need anybody at the end of the movie. She doesn't need anybody. She doesn't need Rhett. She doesn't need Ashley. She's moving on. She's going to move on, you know. And uh, so that it's a movie about female empowerment. That's the way we look at it. That is the positive way that we should look at the movie. Uh, we shouldn't look at it as a movie about slavery and okaying slavery because really it portrays the South as fools. <laughs> because they're yeah. like, yay, we're going to go to war. Yay, at the beginning of it. And then they come back, oh, we got our asses kicked. Oh, you know, uh, and uh, so, you know, I mean, come on. This this is ridiculous. It's a bad decision. And uh, but I'll tell you what, if if here in Atlanta, where they show Gone with the Wind pretty regularly at the at the Fox Theater here, if they ever cancel it here, then it's really over with. Because yeah. this is our movie. <laughs> it's, you know? Yeah, it's, it, yeah, that, that's it. I mean, uh, for Atlanta, it was. Uh, I mean, it really put Atlanta on the map in terms of cinema. I mean, that was. Mm-hmm. As big event as you'll ever find in Hollywood when that film premiered in Atlanta. Yes. Yep. So I mean, it's it's still revered here, and uh, but again, once 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 that page is turned here, you know, then it really is over for the movie in some ways. So I, it's it's heartbreaking to me, I think, because I I still as great a year as 1939 is with things like. Mr. Smith goes to Washington, and Stagecoach, and Wuthering Heights. I still think that Gone with the Wind is the best movie of that year. It just is. Yeah, it can't it can't be avoided. <laughs> I mean, in in, ter- in terms of pure cinema, it is. Uh, you know, I think it speaks it's, to something. Uh, you know, it does speak to, <clears throat> and a, a kind of uh, irrational sensitivity. Uh, but it also speaks to um, where we are now with movie culture, I think, where everything is disposable. So mm-hmm. uh, w- w- why should we care if we get rid of like an 80-year-old classic? And why should we pretend like that era didn't happen? I mean, we don't care about it anyway. Uh, we just care about what we can watch on TV and then erase from our DVR as soon as we check it off our list. And that's the lifespan that most movies have with modern yeah. audiences, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure. Uh, I'm really, I'm, I'd love to know, like, some kind of statistics on, uh, among movie lovers, how many movie lovers are really watching movies of the old, old movies? Any, anything anything before uh, the year that they were born? I'd like to, By the way, I'd like to know that. We, we have... <laughs> We have it, it's it's I think it's our third most popular YouTube clip, and it's one of our most popular podcasts. We have a Gone with the Wind show where we talk to uh, Michael Michael Schrago, 
uh, critic. Uh-huh. Um, he wrote a book, I think, about Clark Gable. And then we also talked to Molly Haskell about the character of Vivian Lee. Uh, and it's it, it's kind of it's like a must listen to. Like if you really want to delve into that movie and in terms of gender politics uh, and uh, histor- historic historically what the movie meant and its content, uh, that's a good pl- good place to uh, start. Oh, I'm gonna listen to that. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. Adam, any thoughts on Now in the but, Wind? I'm sorry, we've been uh, talking over you. Well, no, 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 you guys were on a roll. I didn't want to, uh, you know, interrupt. But uh, no, I, I totally agree. I, this political correctness run rampant is just really, you know. And I'm a liberal kind of guy. I mean, ran for political office once upon a time, and so you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, I believe in, in you know, fighting for the good of the common people. But you know, this is just. It's getting ridiculous with with things like this, and it doesn't give uh, progressives like myself uh, it doesn't give give us a good name when everybody's complaining at the least little thing that offends them. And uh, you know, this touchy feely thing is really I, I think it's getting a little bit overboard. You know, I know it's, it comes from a good place, but it, it, too much of too much of something, too much of anything is bad. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't, that, doesn't matter what it is. It. Doesn't matter yeah. if it's it, it doesn't matter if it's you know ice cream or uh, or anything. You know, it's just yeah. uh, too much. Too much is you know you're going too far. So, well, when by the way, Adam, when you, when you said when you said it, they were going overboard, that's when we know we're doomed. If they ever ban the movie Overboard. <laughs> if they ever ban it, if they ever say something like it's unfair to people who suffer from that terrible amnesia, uh, she was essentially raped. Uh, you know, <laughs> the climate we live in, it would not surprise me to be quite honest. It really wouldn't surprise me at this point. Yes, it's true. It seems like every single day there's something that somebody has really gotten their feelings hurt over and you know when we when we were growing up we just shrugged it off it's like uh you know i you know I, it's not my cup of tea but uh hey you know i enjoy it if you want to dude you know <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. but, uh, mm-hmm. it's, we just shrugged it yeah, off and I now it's like I can't, uh, I can't remember i can't remember a time like this no. uh, in my lifetime at least yeah and it's no, some, this- this is new. <laughs> yeah, this it is. is. And like I said, it's it's one thing to not to say I have a you know a, a I don't like this. This is offensive to me. But but to you know you're taking it to a whole other level by saying it's not only offensive to me. It's going to be offensive to you because I'm going to see to it that it yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We are going to deny you the opportunity to make your own opinion. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's that's what's dangerous. really egregious about it. It yes. is. And, it's dangerous. It's, it's it's really dangerous as well. So mm-hmm. it is. Um, yeah, but uh, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really needs to. It really needs to be talked mm-hmm. about. It does. Yeah. Right. yeah. Even if, even if you so. hate Gone with the Wind, because I know people out there that are like, oh God, I hate Gone with the Wind. I don't want to. Usually because it's like a sac. They view it as saccharine romantic stuff. Uh, yeah. Like phony baloney bullshit, but uh, and other people have uh, real problems with it. But even if you hate the movie, uh, 
uh, you understand how beloved it is, and you understand the importance of keeping it out. It's pl- it's important place in film history, and that that itself yeah. needs to be preserved. And plus, you can see it right in front of your eyes that it is the, one of the most beautifully produced movies ever. It just mm-hmm. uh, on all, all levels. Uh, it is produced with such care, it was pro- and and it was produced in such a, that in that way under incredible duress because of yeah. the uh, because the way the movie was made, the expectations that the movie had, you know. Uh, it was a huge novel. Uh, it was a big property, the biggest property in in Hollywood at the time. Mm-hmm. Every every star under the sun uh, uh, went and uh, uh, auditioned for it. Uh, it went through three, four different directors, uh, uh, and under the eye of David Selznick. Uh, who was uh, absolutely tenacious in the making of the movie. Uh, You know, I mean, when you take all that stuff into account, uh, the fact that it could have been a massive failure and that it succeeded so well because of the care that went into it, the people who made it cared about it. Yeah. Yep. And the reason the reason they cared about it was because it was a great story. <laughs> it is a great story. And uh, even if you hate, think you hate it, you should go back and watch it again because what you will discover is a four-hour movie that speeds by and feels like it's ninety minutes long. That's talent. Yeah, when you can do something like that. That is, you are you are seeing absolute undistilled talent. Uh, yeah, and if you could have if you could have a hand in Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz in the same year, uh, yeah, that's, that's isn't that like the ultimate one-two punch? I mean, we talked yeah. about uh, Spielberg, the ultimate or Soderbergh, <laughs> or or Coppola. Even you know, it's like no, yeah. that's that's the ultimate. It can it it, yeah. it can't be matched, you know. Yeah. Even if other directors were involved with both movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Adam. Yeah. So so um, uh, before we get to Blu-rays, I wanted to sure. talk about uh, some uh, movies that I saw uh, yesterday <coughs> uh, or this week. Well, I'll start off with the good one. <laughs> that I saw uh, yesterday, uh, and uh, it came out earlier this year, uh, and I wanted to see if you had seen it. Um, the movie Megan Levy. Uh, uh, no, no, I, I missed that. We had a press screening, and I had a conflict tonight that we uh, screened it, and I just have not caught up to it yet. But I heard pretty good things about it, so what's your take on it? What's I really dug it. Uh, I mm-hmm. thought that it was going to be a completely different type of movie. I thought it was going to be a lot more sentimental than it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it, it stars Kate Mara as uh, as the title character, Megan Levy, who uh, leaves a life of uh, you know aimlessness and enlists in the Marines uh, <clears throat> and goes to Iraq. Where she uh, where she becomes uh, ensconced in the um, 
and the canine unit uh where the um where you know they have certain dogs you know out there sniffing for bombs and so forth mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she she uh connects with a uh, german shepherd named rex and um and <clears throat> you know you would think you look at the the poster for it with the flag and her with the dog and everything and you think oh, it's going to be overly sentimental but it was actually quite an effective uh personal drama uh in in you know depicting her life before and after her deployments um <clears throat> uh Edie Falco plays her sort of drunken mother uh, uh Bradley Whitford is in there as her dad they're the the parents are separated uh there's a great supporting performance from Common uh as the sergeant that uh, uh the steers her towards the K nine unit, uh mm-hmm. and and steers her through through her uh through her deployment. Uh he's fantastic in it. Uh I think he you know should be considered for a supporting actor Oscar actually. Uh mm-hmm. but uh you know if if I could say anything negative about it it's that it feels maybe a little bit uh T V movie at times a little bit. And yeah. uh and uh that um I, I think they maybe went a little too far against sentimentalizing it, uh to the point where, you know, in the third act you're really clamoring for more moments with her and the dog. Uh I I think they could have they could have strengthened that relationship. You would think that in a movie like this that the that would be a foregone conclusion, but uh, I I have to hand it to the director, who's uh, uh, Gabriella Copperthwaite, who who's been on our show uh, in connection with her documentary Blackfish about the about the oh, uh, yeah. the whole the whole thing at the at Sea World. Um, uh, she did a really good job, I think. I think she did a fantastic job directing the movie. Uh, it's it's also uh, written it's written by two women too uh, pa- Pamela Gray and Annie um, Mumolo who I guess Annie Mumolo was I think she was nominated for an Oscar for uh, for writing of all things bridesmaids but um, mm. uh, I would highly recommend it I, uh, uh, and uh, definitely have some tissues nearby because it will it, even though it even though it doesn't ramp up the sentimentality of it if you're an animal lover you will really connect with uh connect yeah. with it um so good. uh it's it's very good it's on demand right now um now yesterday though <laughs> i had probably the worst time at the movies <laughs> i saw three <laughs> movies and uh and they were pretty. They were pretty. It was diminishing returns. Uh, first, I saw Good Time, which uh, uh, Jerry reviewed last week, and a lot of mm-hmm. what he said was absolutely right on the money. Uh, that uh, it was a. It, <clears throat> it's a, a movie. Robert Pattinson plays a a, a guy, a, a not very bright guy that uh takes his mentally challenged brother on a uh, um uh and has him help him uh, uh rob a place uh and then um 
and then has to deal with the aftermath uh once his brother gets caught uh and gets thrown in jail uh Pattinson gets gets away and spends the entire movie trying to get back to his brother to try and get his brother out uh, out of the uh hospital that he's in uh, and literally everything goes wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. Josh and Benny Safty. Benny Safty, by the way, plays the brother. Uh, and Josh and Benny uh, Safty are the writers and directors, and uh, they do a, a very. The, their style is very odd. Uh, I do like it that they're very. Uh, they they make these grainy kind of movies. Uh, the whole movie is almost almost the entire movie is shot in close up, so that can get mm-hmm. a little uh, odd <laughs> at times. Yeah, they love they love a they love a good close up. Uh, this is a movie that like if the camera is right up in people's nostrils, almost mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole the whole movie. Yeah, but uh, um, I can't say that I loved it. Uh, it had a a really obtrusive score. Uh, that was trying to be a little like um uh tangerine dream uh like a tangerine yeah. dream score uh I, and i thought it was uh it's funny last week jerry jerry uh mentioned dunkirk you know how how dunkirk has gotten so much uh flack for uh its score being obtrusive but i thought this one was equally you know even more so it was just right there up in front like can't you guys just lower the music a little bit <laughs> um but pattinson's really good in it uh and if you like these sort of what i would say are like kind of miserable dramas you know where everything bad happens you know you're not just going to see – if you see a shot of a homeless guy, they're not just going to show you a homeless guy. They're going to show him drooling too. Uh, oh, if, yeah. If, 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 they show a guy, if they show a guy with a black eye, it's going to be the worst black eye that you've ever seen. And uh, just <laughs> everything, everything that you think bad can happen, it happens in this. You know, uh, they maybe showed a little restraint with the uh, – with the teenage black character that's in it, who I thought was, I thought she was very good at it. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, and, and there's a little bit of relief at the end, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a well-made movie. It's just, uh, it, it it wasn't fun. Let's put it that way. So I went to go see something that I thought would be fun afterwards. And I saw Girls Trip uh, mm-hmm. with, with, uh, Queen Latifah and Jada Pinkett Smith, and uh, um, I'm trying to remember the other uh, other uh, Regina Hall, and uh, yeah. p- particularly good in it is uh, you know the it's funny because those three ladies almost feel like straight people to the uh, real comedy find in it. Tiffany Haddish, uh, mm-hmm. she gets all the really really funny lines. Um, but this is a, this is a, I didn't really find the movie except for her occasionally. I think she has great attitude. She's, she's a great, uh, I, I've, I've seen her on some, uh, talk shows and I thought she was, she was very, very, very good. And, uh, I'd like to see more of her. Uh, but, uh, I just don't think that I really respond to these party movies really. Yeah. These, uh, I don't care if they're done with younger people, you know, in their twenties, or if they're done with, you know, middle-aged people like as we here, you know, forty-year-olds. 
uh, I, I just don't respond to it, uh, mainly because I don't feel like there's much of a story, really, uh, in it. It's just, it really seems seems like an excuse for the entire cast and uh, to to go out and have a good time while they're making a movie. So, uh, you know, there's, you know, it does look like they're having a great time, but do I really need a scene of... Uh, 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 Jada Pinkett Smith caught up on a uh, on a wire above. Uh, uh, I guess they're they're at uh, New Orleans um, during Mardi Gras, and she gets mm-hmm. caught up on a wire. You know, that's, uh, you're supposed to slide against the wire from one side uh, from one hotel to the other, and uh, um, uh, she gets caught up there and. and she has to go to the bathroom, so she pees on the crowd. Oh. It's that kind of movie. Yeah. And uh, there's now a famous, uh, I guess this is a famous scene now with uh, uh, D- Tiffany Haddish uh, uh, demonstrating a sexual technique with a grapefruit <laughs> that mm-hmm. I guess has gotten people's, caught people's imagination or whatever. But, uh, uh you know, I, 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 they're childish kind of movies, and I, I'm happy that the movie is a success. It's a historical success in the sense that it is. Uh, I think it's the first movie that's been written, produced, directed, and starring black people uh, yeah. exclusively. The first one like that yeah. that crossed the hundred million dollar mark. So I'm happy that that, that, that there's a, that type of success. I just wish that it was for a better movie, yeah. <laughs> you know. But uh, but then I saw the absolute nadir, and I have to know <laughs> if you've seen this. Have you seen this movie called Ingrid Goes West? No, no. It was on my radar to uh, to investigate because I've been hearing mixed things about it. So uh, do, do tell. It is horrible. Don't go see it, everybody. Okay. Don't. Don't. It's horrible. <laughs> Okay, so it's Aubrey Plaza plays uh, sort of a, a, a crazy girl. She's crazy from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, who, um, I guess, after breaking up with her previous best friend, goes online to try and find another friend to to suck suck all the energy out of. So she finds Elizabeth Olsen, who's this up and coming photographer. Uh, who uh, she finds? I, I guess she she discovers some article about her, and she kind of hooks into her and, and gets to know her and friends her on on Facebook, and then all the trouble begins. And it's basically kind of like a single white girl type, in fact, single single white female type of thing, where she she wants to be her and wants to wants to you know, kind of take over her, her life. And, mm-hmm. um, but it's played as a comedy, but it's only comedic because of the music that they're playing. They're playing like boop, boop, boo, de, boop, boo, music behind, <laughs> whereas they could have played like kind of music and it could have been a horror movie without changing anything. They wouldn't yeah. have to change any of the dialogue or anything. So... <laughs> Uh, I I couldn't figure out what it was. Plus, okay, here's a big question. 
if you're trying to do a movie about stupid, vapid people, all of which every character in this movie is stupid and vapid, maybe with the exception of O'Shea Jackson, who I think is very good in it as uh, as her landlord, who becomes kind of a boyfriend, uh, uh, you know, Ice Cube's son. Uh, yeah. he, he's he's very good, uh, but I even think he's kind of vapid too because he's there in L.A. He's a screenwriter. He's trying to write a Batman script. He's obsessed with Batman, mm. so uh, even he is you know not without his problems. But uh, can you do a good movie that's smart about stupid people and writing while writing them very very? I mean. Uh, as far as the writing of stupid people goes, it was it was very good. It, it did a very good yeah, job. Yeah. But um, boy, I I I felt it was torture, absolute torture <laughs> for me. So I mean, I, I can't I can't stress it strongly enough. I love I like Aubrey Plaza, but she needs to find something better than this. This was this was mm. a this was this was. Absolutely, the most miserable thing that I've seen in 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 cinemas all year. So, <laughs> oh, wow. so I, I don't yeah. go see a lot of bad movies, but uh, yeah. but this one this one was this one was horrible. <laughs> okay, well, so yeah. I guess well, we I've been hearing about on. it. So so thanks for uh, thanks for the warning there. <laughs> yeah, avoid it yeah. at all costs. Well, uh, I guess we can go ahead and get started with Blu-rays if you want to. Yeah, let's do. All right. Uh, and as far as my seeing what the new ones I've seen this week, I will just go ahead and say Wind River is the only new thing I've seen. I've gone back and revisited a bunch of stuff, but uh, Wind River was the only new How one I that? saw. I thought it was. Um, I thought it was good. Uh, it's not as good as Hell or High Water. Uh, I just don't think it has the sense of urgency. The pacing is a little sluggish compared to that. I thought, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it's I like how uh, Taylor Sheridan how he does the, uh, you know, he tries to these movies. He's been he's been throwing in a little social comment, you know, and he does that again, like he did with Hell or High Water, because you know, there's the financial angle of the banking industry taking advantage of the uh, the the poor people and, and lower incomes and all of that. And so there's there's kind of, you know, this one takes place on an Indian reservation, Native Americans. Uh, you know, their plight is kind of the counterpoint to what goes on in the movie. So I I like that, you know, that he's got a, he's got a solid crime story being played out against uh, some of the, you know, some, some, some people, uh, is, you know, a, a, the who... You haven't had the best uh, shakes in life. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's you know it's a very de- bleak and depressing setting the movie has, and uh, it, ca- it captures all of that. You know, Wyoming in the middle of winter time, and you can imagine. And but uh, you know, uh, uh, Jeremy Renner's good in it. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen even better. Uh, she's really good and. Uh, but I, I, you know, it's it's good. I'm just not going to say it's great. Um, mm-hmm. But it's definitely okay. worth seeing for sure. So we'll just leave it at that. But um, and he's, everything he's else gonna, was, uh, he, go he's ahead. probably going to continue to be uh, a player. Uh, in, oh yeah, in, yeah, yeah. So okay, and, good. 
Yeah, so so uh, a mild recommendation from me on that one. But uh, uh, we'll start with August 1st uh, with the Blu-rays. Now, speaking of newer films, there's a trio of indie uh, films that are being issued on uh, – or were issued on August 1st, and I want to – uh, talk about these. We normally don't talk about newer releases because they're fresh in everybody's mind, but I think these are all worth mentioning uh, for various reasons. One is Obit, the documentary mm. that you and I championed early in the year uh, about yes. the people who uh, do, do the writing of the obituaries for the New York Times, and this is uh, at this point still in my top five favorites of the year. Me too. Uh, and Me probably too. will be at the end of the year, <laughs> or it looks like it. Uh, terrific, terrific documentary about these people and how they put together and the selection process for who makes it into the obituaries and the research that goes into it and the actual blood, sweat, and tears that goes into the writing of the articles and just a lot of a lot of good stuff there that you may not know about. And uh, I'm, you know I'm what I loved in that movie. I'm just flashing back to the movie. It was, it, mm-hmm. it, what a great movie it is. But true. <clears throat> what I loved in it was that character that was down in the uh, down in the photo um, archives. That guy. Oh yeah. That guy that's running the photo archives. That they had yeah. to put the photo archives in another building because. They had too much. Uh, too much of it. They said that it would collapse the building if they if they <laughs> kept it in the building. So they had to uh, they had to put it someplace else. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, he he's just a he's a fascinating character that uh, oh, yeah. uh, you know really has the entire history of the world at his fingertips. You know, uh, and there's so much material in that mm-hmm. play in that archive that. Like literally nobody could ever go through it. Like you, you, there, no one could ever see it all. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And he's constant, constantly in his research, coming across things that that he finds interesting and and useful. And, mm-hmm. and the movie does a great job of dramatizing that that uh, that search uh, for knowledge. Uh, yeah. That he's uh, that that he's tasked with, and uh, but uh, I, I love the fact that you know they go into the details of how difficult writing is. Writing is so difficult. It's not it just can a, be. <laughs> it's not just a uh, you know. It's not, you don't just sit down and just start typing. Blah, 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 and it comes no. out. You know. It's, no. There's there's no. a lot of. Uh, a, a lot of consideration that has to go into every, mm-hmm. and especially with them because they're m- memorializing people, and they have a lot yeah. of people to. Uh, they have not only the the history to be respectful of, but the families because they have to go and mm-hmm. talk with the families in order to do their research, and of course the families are in are in grief, and. Uh, so there's there's it's just a really great movie that makes you think about something that you've never ever thought of, and yeah. uh, and if you've yeah. never if you're not the kind of person if you've never considered going to the New York Times and reading the, their obituaries, this movie will make you make that a regular stop because it mm-hmm. really. It really is uh, reading their obituaries, even of people that you don't know. Uh, in fact, the people that you don't know, as this documentary points out, are the ones that often are mo- the most interesting. 
It's true. Uh, it's true. So it, it is a great movie. You got to see it if you love movies. If you love documentaries, uh, uh, but if you love movies, uh, yeah, you will love this. Well, anybody that knows me knows that uh, I'm a religious reader of the uh, New York Times obituary section, as uh, as evidenced by my Facebook page, which I get a lot of flack from some people uh, saying, uh, you know, that I post too many obituaries. But I, you know, a lot of times these people that made a blip on the pop cultural landscape, they they come and go so quickly, and uh, I always try to be the keeper of that flame in my own little way, so this movie really just kind of struck a nerve with me, and you were talking about the guy in the archives. Fascinating thing about that guy was when they were talking about how it was organized, that material was organized, and he says, uh, you know, we're not sure how it's organized, because the people who put it in here, uh, they're all dead, and we're trying to figure out what their organizational system was. And I found that to be fascinating that, you know, the people who started these uh, these archives, they're all gone now. And it's mm-hmm. up to the, uh, the people who are now among the living to keep it going and figure out, you know, so it's uh, it's something to think about. But lot lot really, really great uh, film, as we said. Another one that I thought is, is certainly worth a peek, I don't know if you got a chance to see it or not, is Colossal with Anne Hathaway. Uh, I, I've heard that uh, I've heard that that's uh, you know when they I guess IndieWire did a did a mm-hmm. poll of you know their critics and and picked they had them pick you know the best movies so far this year and that came in at mm-hmm. number four and I was mm-hmm. like colossal what is that so I haven't seen it what is it oh it's good uh, uh, Anne Hathaway uh, uh, she's basically a recovering alcoholic. And uh, at the, she keeps having these blackouts, and then it turns out at the set, every time she has a blackout, they have this attack by a giant monster in Japan at the same time she's having these blackouts. And it's always when she's not around or not conscious that these attacks happen and the city's being stomped, and you know, just like in a Japanese horror, uh, a giant monster movie, rather. So she figures out, uh, and you have to see the film to see how they explain it, because they do pull it off. Sounds ridiculous, but they do pull it off. She finds out that she actually is the giant monster. Uh, She has a connection where when she stands in a certain place, uh, she appears on the other side of the world as a giant monster. There's like a a psychic connection or something. And Mm -hmm. uh, so she's controlling all of this, and... uh, then uh, her uh, boyfriend finds out he has the same power, and so when they stand in the exact same spot, they they become, and there's a, a really wonderfully executed scene in it where they're fighting, and uh, around the other side of the world, uh, it looks like two monsters are battling. <laughs> but they're really just <laughs> you know, they're that just sounds funny, actually. Oh, it is. <laughs> they really pull it off, and the, the visual effects are, are good. Uh, like I said, as, as good as anything you'd find in one of those giant monster movies. And uh, so, you know, I can't really give it do it justice by trying to sum it up here, but I will say that it's it's just really inventive, unique, and, and certainly interesting. I don't know if it's going to make my top ten, but it's certainly going to be in the top 20, probably following close into the top ten at this point because it's really, it's, it's really so inventive and unique. Um, and then another one is The Lovers with uh, the, the Deborah Winger. Uh, oh, and Tracy Letts. Right. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen that yet? Did you get 
I tried to watch a, a little bit of it. I thought it was a little slow. It was a little slow for me, so I wasn't quite in the mood for it. But I'm going to go back to it because I love those two actors. So oh yeah, so. she's great. She just you 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 see her and you're reminded of uh, how wonderful she is and how much we've missed her. And I think it's a, it's good. Um, it's just. Uh, there's a little bit there's a little bit of a gotcha ending there uh that may be a little bit out of place not really sure about that i'm still thinking about it but uh uh but all in all uh, a solid uh, a good not great movie but good movie and uh, like i said they are just uh their performances are luminous and they are just great uh both of them Tracy Letts and Deborah Winger so see it for them if nothing else but uh good some good stuff to be found there so that's the newer releases that are kind of uh, some independently made films that, that I'd say are certainly worth a look. Um, mm. But we'll go to the catalog. I, I like now. this. You oh, should. You should. I think you should do this every month. Is uh, you know go and and pick out you know three three or four newer things that yeah that we can you know that we can champion and and you know just the good stuff, not the bad stuff. So <laughs> yeah, we I can think pick that, and choose. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay, so think, what? So what else? Uh, well, we'll move to the catalog stuff now, and this is one that should spur a little bit of discussion here. How about North? <laughs> oh no, they're really yeah. do, doing that. Is, is that know, the I movie? It is. Isn't uh, that the, that's the movie that 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 inspired uh, uh, Roger Ebert's most famous review, yeah. right? Yeah, that's where right. Where he said, yeah. "I hated, 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 hated." Hated, hated, hated this movie. Hated, hated, hated it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's true. I mean, it, that's just you know, that's just genius. You know, being able to say that. But uh, yeah, so I've never watched it uh, oh, because of this. I haven't either. <laughs> I haven't either. Uh, yeah, it's Rob Reiner, just... right? It is. It's Rob Reiner, and you know that 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 quote from Roger Ebert actually was used. Of a, he he did a, a compilation of all of his bad movie reviews, like just the movies that got one star to two star reviews, and he retitled and he named the book "I Hated 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 This Movie." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, North is in there, of course. Uh, yeah, I never did see it. I it just got the word on the street was so terrible. This was uh, DOA when it. You know, hit theaters, and uh, I just I, I thought I, I just don't know that I can do this. I guess I should out of curiosity, but uh, it is a, it is a weird choice. Sony Sony Choice is putting it out. This is a direct to uh, you know the video on demand. You you order the disc and they press them right there, so they're not mass producing it. But uh, it's very uh, it's from what I can tell. There's only uh, there's no extras. It's a it's just the movie, and it's there. The price point is like twenty six ninety nine, which is a little steep for uh, a movie of this, you know, maybe dubious quality. I'm not sure, but <laughs> anyway. So I'm uh, going through the cast. I'm going through the cast. Let me just go through the cast, okay? Yeah, sure. Elijah Wood in the lead, uh, with Jason Alexander and Julie Louis Dreyfus as as his parents. Uh, at the height of, uh, I guess you know, around Seinfeld, uh, Seinfeld days, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but also, there's we've got Bruce Willis, uh, mm-hmm. we've got John Lovitz, um, Alan Arkin, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Reba McIntyre, um, 
And uh, I guess that's oh Graham Greene, uh, uh, Kathy Bates, uh, Abe Vigoda, uh Richard <laughs> Belzer, uh, Kelly McGillis is wow. in it. Wow, John Ritter, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, probably pretty early for her. Uh, and I guess that covers it all. Uh, so that's quite a cast to, to waste on such a movie. But. It is. It really is. But uh, it, it, for some reason, they chose to release it. And Sony Choice also, which is, again, same the same outfit that uh, presses these discs when you order them, uh, they're also issuing The Bitter Tea of General Yin, which is one of the early, early efforts of Frank Capra, which I have mm. never never seen that, but uh, it, they that's in their catalog as well. So they're they're issuing that. Um, under the same uh, label. Is that Barbara Stanwyck? That's Barbara Stanwyck, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, and um, okay. Yeah, she's probably the most notable. Neil's Astor and Walter Connolly. Yeah, but it's a 1933, and so for Capra completists, uh, it's it is a it is out there um, for for the taking. Uh, here's a movie from 1975. Ni- uh, and I was wondering if you had ever seen this one. I have not. I am curious for this cast, if nothing else. It's a horror film being released by Garage House Pictures. Uh, it's a fairly new Blu-ray label, and it's from 1975 called The Intruder. And the cast has Mickey Rooney, Yvonne DiCarlo, and Ted Cassidy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, I haven't seen this. No, I haven't either, and they they don't really even give a uh, dis- description as to the uh, plot or anything of it. Uh, but I am. It just says they came to the island to discover their future, but something came with them. So I guess they're stranded on an <coughs> island or something. But uh, okay. any film with uh, where Ted Cassidy is third build, that should be interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. It's it's a little. Uh, it, they worked together. It, Cassidy and DiCarlo were on the uh, Adams family together, so it's a little bit of a, a reunion. Right. Uh, well, she was in the Munsters, I think. DiCarlo. Oh, was, she was in the uh, Munsters. You're right. Who but was close. it that was in Adams family? It was Carolyn uh, Jones. Carolyn Jones. Oh God. Yeah. Stupid. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's you're close, why, though. But, you're in the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, that's true. Okay. Uh, All well, right. Well, I haven't seen that. I haven't either, And uh, but I just wanted to throw it out there. I, I believe I'm going to investigate and see if I can come up with, a <laughs> with okay. that one. Yeah. So maybe I'll report on a future episode. So uh, how about the 1977 biopic MacArthur with Gregory Peck uh, uh, by Joseph Sargent? <laughs> Who we usually love, and yeah, does have. Yeah, Ed Flanders has a supporting role in this. The uh, the great Ed Flanders, which we, I was a huge fan of him as an actor. Uh-huh. Yeah, but yeah, I never saw this. I never saw MacArthur, so I don't have an opinion on it. Uh, my uh, my, uh, I remember watching it uh, as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um. And being very, very bored by it, and I was a kid that was not <laughs> bored by type these type of movies. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I also saw, you know, Bridge Bridge Too Far as a kid, and thought that was pretty good. But yeah, I, I didn't like this. It was the, mm. uh, it had that kind of, it had that kind of 
uh, of course, Joseph Sargent did a lot of great TV movies, sure uh, and and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, great you know theatrical movies too, but or at least a few. But um, this isn't one of them. It's just uh, I think I think Peck is kind of miscast as, mm-hmm. as MacArthur, frankly. Uh, you know, I, I, he doesn't, he doesn't have that kind of, um, I don't know. He doesn't have that gruffness that, uh, that you, that you want from MacArthur, uh, as a character. And, um, so, but, but mainly it just feels, it feels like a movie like Midway or something like that, where it's just, it's kind of, got kind of a, uh, stayed sort of stiffness to it that, that isn't very good. So interesting know. that you would say that. That was Universal uh, made uh, <coughs> Midway the year before this, so it's the same distributor, the same studio. Yeah. So there may have been something going on around that There's time. Some kind of, well, you know, and they were a ma- they were major makers of TV movies. Universal, they were, time, you know, yes. and uh, and so they all have that kind of look to them that sort of bland kind of blech look to yeah. it you know sort of over over lit um mm-hmm. kind of quality to it there's no real nuance to the photography or anything and eh, it's, yeah better look yeah, <laughs> better look you're right seen. Yeah, well, there's another one they made around that time, too. Oh, my mind always goes back to Two Minute Warning, which was another Universal production. And that one, to me, is just another one that could have easily been a TV movie. And, in fact, they added 50 minutes to that when they ran it on TV. So, uh, yeah. you know, at least, though, yeah, you're right. You're on to something. A lot of those movies did have a, a similar quality. But um, So a couple of keynote releases here. How about The Devil's Brigade from 1968 with William Holden, Cliff Robertson, Vince Edwards, and... Andrew Prine, directed by Andrew McLaughlin. Yeah, it's okay. It's it's kind of a standard standard sixties yeah. World War Two movie. Not, uh, it's nothing great. Okay, now that that's one I. Um, it's a blind spot for me. Uh, that's why I was asking for your expertise on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the good I mean, son. Yeah, oh, go on. Oh, now that's a good one. Uh, one with uh, like, Macaulay Culkin, right? That's the one. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not bad. <laughs> it's not. It's not <laughs> horrible. It's not as bad as you might think it, it, it might be. You know, I mean, it, it's basically you know, it's the bad seed all over again. You know, uh, uh, you know, the bad seed which was done in the fifties with Patty McCormick as a killer kid. Uh, everybody, everybody thinks she's sweet and innocent, but. Uh, she's not really, and uh, so so it's basically a retread of of that. Um, but it's you know, given given that there's not much Macaulay Culkin stuff out there that <laughs> that we can really point to and say, well, this is why. I mean, this is one of the you know byproducts of him being a star or whatever. You know, it mm-hmm. you know. It's funny, you know. You, you, if everybody knows who Macaulay Culkin is, but probably everybody can only remember one movie he was in. So this this is another one, and it's he he does okay in it. So it's not bad. It's a taco movie. 
Yeah, it's Joseph Rubin, you know, who did The Stepfather and uh, Dreamscape. I thought those were much better. I, I do mm-hmm. remember seeing this one. I haven't seen it in about 24 years since it came out yeah. in the theater. I, Me too. My, I remember my take on it was that I felt like uh, you know, there were a couple there, – there were a few good scares in it, but I just felt – I felt like it had the feel of something that had too many hands on it, you know, uh, as far as like the studio just was was tinkering, post-production tinkering, I guess is a good way to put it, and it just, it felt like it was a little rushed, and uh, uh-huh. that there wasn't really any of us, you know, there were, there were setups that didn't seem to pay off for me, and they didn't really give much insight as to why that kid was so rotten and uh so i i had a few issues with it but again there's a few things worth seeing in it uh you know the uh, the new blu-ray has a oh go to ahead to me by the way the the whole i don't feel like you you need to explain evil mm-hmm. in a movie you know like it just is so that i mean is like true. you know like that in the work. bad seed uh they don't explain it either she just is evil she just that's all it is you know so, uh, but um, it's not like she got hit on the head and became evil or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, but uh, yeah, you were saying that there's some extras? Yeah, there's just an interview with Joseph Rubin uh, and a couple of uh, things like that. There's a, um, let me see here, hold on just a second. There's an interview with uh, Joseph Rubin and the cinematographer John Lindley. Uh, Daniel Hugh Kelly and Wendy Crewson, who are in the movie, there they do an on-camera interview, and there's one also with David Morse, who's in it. So, okay. Um, uh, and there's a trailer. So if you are jonesing to see Macaulay Culkin play an evil kid, well, there you go. It's out there. Mm. So uh, we'll move along to August 8th uh, for the releases from that day. Here's one that was uh, a big hit, uh, but I can't say that I liked it. I, in fact, I thought it was pretty much rubbish when I saw it uh, 32 years ago, and I, I don't think I've changed my opinion. That's Teen Wolf. Uh, yeah, I hate it. This is one of those movies that I lump in with, like, the Goonies, that became a cult hit that was that, that people held close to their heart as, like, uh, as something that was emblematic of their childhood, but just because it's emblematic of your childhood doesn't mean that it's any good. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, just one of those movies I just, uh, you know, the fact that they've made a TV series out of it and so forth, and, and, yeah. and a, a series of movies that prob- uh, probably get increasingly worse. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just, I never, I never reacted to it at all. Uh, I mean, just yeah. the whole idea of like him playing basketball and he's he's a wolf. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on! I can't, I can't, I can't even watch it. No, forget. I watch Airbud before I watch this. Uh, right. Well, you know, it's funny because I was the target audience. I was 15 years old when it came out. I remember, and I, and you know, this was the summer when uh, Back to the Future had made him a really. I mean, he was, you know, he was a TV star, but you know, Back to the Future took him to that whole other level and then they released this they just had the good fortune to release this in august of that year which back to the future i think was released uh in late june early july and they really lucked out they sure did because this just coasted on the success of that and i i just remember being the target audience i was 15 and going to see it and even thinking at that age this is terrible <laughs> this yeah is 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, Good. yeah, I didn't Good even bother with the. Yeah, I, I felt that way then, <laughs> and I have not changed my mind. Uh, uh, they did release the sequel, uh, Team Wolf Two, but uh, I didn't even bother with that. I've never. Uh, Jason that, Bateman. Uh, right. Yeah. It's just. You know, even the special effects look goofy in in both of these. Or you know, I know in the original. Yeah, the makeup's bad. The design of the yeah. wolf is bad. It, it, you know, they couldn't even design a decent wolf. I mean, he he he. So it's so bad. It it makes you think of uh, Kerwin Matthews in The Boy Who Cried Werewolf. Except he was. It, it looked better on him than it does here. So. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. That's what it made me think of. Uh, but. <laughs> There's there's the documentary here. Never say die. Story of Team Wolf. Still gallery trailer. It's a it's a Scream Factory release. So uh, you know, but like I said, and and two is available as a separate disc. They're not pairing them together. But um, anyway, if if you are a fan and you know who you are and you love the nostalgia of it and it gives you that warm, gooey, fuzzy feeling, which I'm sure it does for some people, but not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's out there. Uh, uh, now, we will go to a Criterion release here. How about The Breaking Point, directed by Michael Curtis, which is really a second uh, version of Ernest Hemingway's To Have and Have Not, with John Garfield as uh, a charter boat captain who takes on dangerous cargo to save his boat and support his family in the process. Uh, I haven't gotten around to looking at this, although I hear it's pretty good. I watched it. I watched it last week. And mm-hmm. I loved it. I thought, oh, uh, yeah, it's very, very good. Uh, it's smartly written, good, mm-hmm. good uh, uh, screenplay. Uh, 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 it's uh, brutal. Um, yeah, and uh, it's got an unusual uh, quality. Okay, so he's he's happily married to Phyllis Baxter. <clears throat> yeah. He takes the job to to transport these uh Chinese people uh to to American soil. Um and uh from there he he uh he he kind of has a dalliance with Patricia Neal. Yeah. Uh, who I usually see as kind of a dowdy person, but here she mm-hmm. she's uh she's blonde, she's a uh you know, she's Platinum blonde and, mm-hmm. and and very very uh, sexually forward, and uh, uh, and it's it, it's interesting to see a character <clears throat> like Garfield who is trying mightily to stay faithful to his wife, who he still loves. He's not ha- he doesn't have any problems with the wife <clears throat> or or with his home life. Except that they're running out of money, and she's having to work, and uh, and it's it's messing with his sleep schedule and uh, her her job, and uh, it, it's it's a very it's a complex movie. It's well it's well photographed. Um, uh, I remember thinking that the the photography seemed to, seems a little ahead of its time. Um and uh I I uh good score by Max Steiner and oh, nice. uh and uh just a really really solid uh noir movie uh uh with a really really good mm-hmm. lead performance from Garfield so and Curtis you know Curtis was just one of those directors who could really just make 
almost anything, like even an Elvis movie, uh, he could uh, raise the bar. Yeah. Almost anything. So. Oh, he yeah he was he was and uh, what what makes this also good is that uh, it's another of the Warner Brothers titles that Criterion has a license from them. You know, Warner Brothers does not typically license their titles, sublicense their titles to anybody except Criterion. So this is uh, one that they allowed them to have, and there is a new. 2K digital restoration here. Uh, this new interview with critic Alan Road. Uh, there's a piece featuring uh, the actor and acting instructor Julie Garfield on her father, John Garfield. There's a video essay and an excerpt from a 1962 episode of The Today Show, which uh, takes you on a tour through the Ernest Hemingway house and shows you the contents, including uh, items related to have and have not. So, uh I thought that uh, there's some interesting uh, batch of extras there. But uh, anyway, uh, The Breaking Point is available from Criterion and was released August 8th, as well as uh, Kino has also issued two Elvis films, I guess. Uh, you know, with the, we, we went through the 40th anniversary of the passing of Elvis Presley. So Kino issued Clam Bake and Frankie and Johnny. I don't know if you want to say anything about these titles. But. <laughs> I you know I can't I can't watch any of those Elvis movies. Uh, you know my one of my great friends uh, Brian Matson who I've known mm-hmm. since uh, since uh, going to NYU film school with him, mm-hmm. and I'm still friends with him here in Atlanta. Uh, uh, he uh, he is a massive Elvis fan, uh, but even he can't get me to sit down and watch any of those Elvis movies. I just can't. I can't. <laughs> You know, I mean, they have to be the good ones, you know, like Kid Galahad or, uh, or you know, some of the early ones, Love Me Tender yeah, or something yeah. like that. But when it gets into the '60s, Elvis, you know, maybe, uh, you know, other other than you know, Viva Las Vegas, which is probably the best one. Um, mm-hmm. And I really love Elvis on tour too. I like the oh, I like yes. the documentary. Oh uh, yeah, but, that's great. Yeah. Those those are the only Elvis movies I can sit through. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the other ones, you know, with him sing, singing, you know, the song of the shrimp and stuff like that. I, I just can't watch those. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, well, it, it is worth mentioning that Clambake uh, it features uh, the uh, do the clam, which is the um, the the main song from that film, and it was written by none other than Dolores Fuller. The uh, yes. <laughs> the wife or widow of well, she's passed now of Ed Wood. She was yes. the one-time spouse of Ed Wood. Let's put it that way. And she's yes. depicted in the film by uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. She's so yeah. that's worth mentioning as uh, just a little odd trivia there. Mm. But uh, yeah, so Warner Archive issued on the same day, August eighth, Freebie and the Bean with Alan uh. and James Caan and. Directed and produced by Richard Rush, and um, scripted by Robert. I have a tremendous Cuffman. affection, tremendous affection for this movie. Yep, uh, it's one of the uh, one of the great uh, cop buddy movies of the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, really uh, terrific lead performances from from Arkin, who's particularly good, and Khan. They make a really oh, good yeah. team. It's surprising that they never reteamed them. Uh, that's how good 
a movie it is. Uh, now, it has been a long time since I've seen it, so it could be horribly dated. And I, uh, you know, I just haven't seen it in a long time. But uh, <clears throat> we do have a DVD copy of it here. I do, I do want to check it out again. It's got some good stunts in it. Yep. I remember a stunt where like a car flies off of a, a freeway and goes crashing into a house or something. Yep. Uh, yep. You're you're right on it. It's got a very very tense uh, climax, and it does not uh, shy away from violence. Um, no, it doesn't. So, and the, so it has the tone. It has the yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. The tone is is kind of odd in it. I I love it uh, in some ways. Uh, but the tone does shift very quickly from uh, comedic to pretty serious at times. Yes. And uh, so there, you, you have to be aware of the tonal shifts. But uh, having said that, I love the supporting performances by Alex Rocco and Valerie Harper in particular and Loretta, Loretta Swit too. And so they have some pretty pretty juicy roles here. Um, and um, this story is by Floyd Muttrix, who later on went to – on to do the Hollywood Nights and American Hot Wax and some other yeah. things. So uh, it, it looks gorgeous on the Blu-ray. Uh, nice transfer, brand new 2017 transfer from Warner as as usual, as per their custom. No extras, but if you're a fan of Freebie and the Bean, it's a must-own, I would say. Yep. And um, so we'll move along to August 15th. We're gradually getting there. Uh, this is one that I'm sure probably uh is up on your list uh yeah how about mike lee's meantime which is a criterion release yeah i i've ordered that from uh from amazon uh so mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to seeing it i i'm kind of dying to see it with subtitles <clears throat> yes because, uh it, it it concerns you know a, a group of poor British people who are uh, mm-hmm. on the dole, as they say. Uh, it's really it's really about the effect of uh, 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 rampant unemployment on the uh, yes. uh, on the uh, on the British people in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, Tim Roth. Is in it uh, plays kind of a mentally slow character. Um, yes, uh, and uh, Gary Oldman plays a, a a great punk character that has one of the great final <laughs> oh, yeah. exits exits in movies. Uh, <laughs> the yeah. last image of of, of uh, Gary Oldman in this movie will stay in your brain. And mm-hmm. uh, my uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but uh, um, but. Uh, I, like all Mike Lee movies, it's absolutely, uh, absolutely real, and um, and uh, you know, I mean, the the guys just never made any bad movies. So, uh, so you know, if you want to see some good early, uh, also Alfred Molina is it early? Yes, um, he is. Early performance from him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you like all these actors, it's a must see. You know, you got to see it. Yeah, you're watching it, and you forget these people are in it. I know I was, I, I was, and I, I was watching it and and uh, enjoying it quite a bit. And uh, is that Tim Roth? Is that you know? <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, yeah, that is Tim Roth. That's is that Gary? Oldman? Yeah, is that Alfred Molina? Yeah, that's 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 them. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see them. They're so young and starting out in their career. Uh, you know, it's just funny. But yeah, the uh, 
this uh, the new Criterion is is uh, a must if you are a fan of Mike Lee and this film in particular. Uh, it's a new restored 2K transfer supervised by uh, the director of photography Roger Pratt and Mike Lee. And there's a new conversation between Mike Lee and musician Jarvis Cro- uh, Jarvis Cocker. New conversation between actor uh, Marion Bailey and the critic Amy Raphael in a 2007 interview with Tim Roth. So uh, if you are a uh, fan of that one, uh, it's and yes, the subtitles are are uh, it's it's you know they're they're good. They did a good job. They're good to have. Up there. So, <laughs> yeah, they are. There's some pretty thick brogues in it. So. Uh, yeah, true. Agreed. So, uh, and speaking of uh, Gary Oldman, Criterion has released another film that has the great Gary Oldman in the lead. This one is Sid and Nancy by uh, Alec, the Alex Cox 1986 biopic of Sid Vicious uh, of the Sex Pistols. Still an and effective movie. Still, true. Still one of the great biopics, I think. Uh, like, mm-hmm. you know, top 50, I would say. Uh, and, uh, uh, boy, not only is Gary Oldman great at it, but Chloe Webb as, Mm -hmm. uh, Nancy Sponge is just, oh, so great. Yeah. Yeah. So great. Such dynamic filmmaking, too. I mean, uh, it, it just, I remember seeing it in 86 or whatever when it came out in New York and just Mm -hmm. being literally feeling electrified by this movie. Um, I had the same reaction. Yeah, yeah. it is just great. It is great. It's, a, it's got a great soundtrack uh, with Joe Strummer doing the the uh, song Love Kills and mm-hmm. uh, a great underscore by Pray for Rain uh, and uh, just a, a, a magnificent movie. Beautifully photographed. Roger Deakins is the photographer, so I know people have a thing for Roger Deakins these days, and uh, and uh, this is one of his earlier uh, early works that that you know pointed to later greatness and uh, just just a, a absolutely amazing movie. Just uh, I love it. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, the new Criterion uh, has the the Criterion issue has a restored 4K. Transfer supervised and approved by Roger Deakins, mm-hmm. and it has two audio commentaries. There's one from a ni- the original ni- 1994 Laser Disc, which features the uh, co-writer Ab Wool and uh, Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb, and cultural historian Graal Marcus, and the mm-hmm. filmmaker Julian Julian Temple. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, lots, there's lots also yeah they they've gone back into the vaults and they pulled out a. Uh, a 1987 documentary on the making of the film called England's Glory. That's here. There's an in the infamous 1976 Bill Grundy interview with the Sex Pistols on British television. Oh wow! There's, were they <laughs> were they cast on television? And, and I'm not sure. I haven't gotten around to, to looking at this, but uh, th- these are this is just a list of the extras. It's um, there's a rare telephone interview with Sid Vicious from 1978 here. There's interviews huh. with Vicious and Nancy Spungen from a 1980 documentary called DOA, A Rite of Passage. And there's ep- excerpts from a 1976 episode of the London Weekend Show about the London punk scene. And excerpts from Sad disc? Vacation. Well, no, it's just one, believe it or not. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so they were able to fit a lot on that disc. 
They sure wow. were. It's it's a 50 gigabyte disk, and uh, it does have an essay book in addition to all these other things. So if you were a Sid and Nancy fan, I would say that's a must also. I I, I think I might have to get that one. Yeah, you get the, you get the bang for your buck. That's all I'm going to say is if you're looking to get the value, it's they're, they're they put it in there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So another criterion issue is a uh, hopscotch uh, with Walter Matthau. From uh, 1980. I always thought it was weird that this is part of the Criterion Collection. And it's been part of the Criterion Collection like almost from the beginning. Uh, it has. The DVD, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, an odd choice. Uh, and I remember <clears throat> seeing that it was part of the collection uh, mm-hmm. about a decade ago or maybe more and I said hmm I'm going to rewatch it and I remember seeing it when it came out in the 70s mm-hmm. and uh or in the 80 or whatever um and uh I remember seeing it with my grandfather it was the kind of movie that my grandfather <laughs> would love to see cuz he loved Walter Matthau uh-huh. I thought it was kind of uh kind of uh there was something sort of dull about it. I thought uh, rewatching it again. I got uh, as an adult. I, I got a little bit more out of it, but I still don't really understand why. I mean, I would prefer you know they released house calls, you know, over I agree. <laughs> you know, you know, which is uh, uh, the other movie that he did with uh, Glenda Jackson. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but because uh, I, I like house calls a lot better as a, as I a movie, do too. but, but you know, it's kind of interesting that they're releasing it. You know, it's a spy. It's a spy movie. I get kind of du- bored with spy movies for some reason. There's just there's something about mm-hmm. international intrigue that that really just makes me want to take a nap. But yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, uh, I think your assessment's spot on. I had the same reaction. But we'll move on to a couple other things here. Uh, some Twilight Time titles, uh, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. The, uh, well, that's the one I've never seen. I know you like that movie. You have a it's, I'm not going to tell you it's great, uh, but there's one scene. The movie is worth the price of admission for one scene, if nothing else, where uh, Joe Pesci fantasizes that the heads that he's carrying in his bag, in his duffel bag, come to life and start singing uh, um, Mr. Sandman. <laughs> or, or, or rather, uh, you have to see it. It's 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 surreal. He's he's falling asleep and he's dreaming that this is happening and and that the he-, he dreams that the headless bodies are coming after him and uh, except the heads are not singing Mr. Sandman, they're singing Mr. Hitman. To the Mr. Sandman, so it it has to it has to it's worth it just for that one scene. But it you know there's some good sporadic laughs from time to time, and it's uh you know it's it's written and directed by Tom Schulman who uh, did Dead Poets Society. He wrote Tom uh, Dead Poets Society. So uh, wow, Oscar winner. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. So uh, you know, and Diane Cannon basically is doing a rehash of her role from Heaven Can Wait, the recovering alcoholic who sees these, you know, discombobulated heads and flips out. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I'd say uh, a marginal recommendation from me on that. Uh, there's there's enough good stuff to say, hey, it's worth a viewing. And uh, maybe with a couple of tacos. So. Yes. <laughs> so, that always improves a movie. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. 
So a couple more uh, Twilight Times while we're on that subject. Kid Galahad, you just referenced that. They put that one out. Uh, that's one that's, of the good ones. That's probably yeah. – that might be the best. Uh, that might be like, <clears throat> you know, like as a drama, like probably mm-hmm. probably uh, uh, Elvis's best. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Viva Las Vegas is more of a fun movie, like a fun romp. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> as a romp, that one's the best. But <clears throat> this, this, uh, this, this really exercises uh, some of Elvis's dramatic chops. Uh, something he he didn't get to exercise very often, <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's got a yep. classic feel to it. Uh, it's uh, it's you know Michael Curtiz again, so. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's good. It's one of the good ones. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, I, I, and and good performance. You know, it's nice to see Charles Bronson going toe to toe with uh-huh. Elvis in the movie as as his trainer, which yeah. is kind of uh, interesting. And uh, you also get a good performance by Gig Young. So, yes. Uh, who I always I can't get enough of Gig Young for myself personally speaking. Uh-huh. So uh, that's. Uh, it's and uh, thankfully we'll get to see him again with the uh, release of uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? In next Tuesday, but that's yes. a whole other story, uh, which he won the Oscar for. Uh, yeah, we'll. But a couple of the Twilight Times, The Long Hot Summer, uh, which you know, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. And, uh, I have always kind of had a mix, an interesting relationship with this movie. I saw it back in the early 90s and just felt like it was just kind of ho-hum. I really... Very ho-hum. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. With, so with I, the level of talent involved with it, it's Tennessee Williams, right? So uh, yes, you, yes. you think, you think, oh, wow, this can't miss, and it's it's dull. Yeah, I'm I thought sorry. so, too, and I was in my early 20s when I saw it, and I... I haven't gone back to revisit it yet, uh, and uh, but I'm planning on it. But just uh, my initial reaction was that it was not all that great. Uh, I did revisit another Twilight Time, or rather visited for the first time, another Twilight Time release, which you and I talked about off the air suddenly last summer, which is based on That's... a one-act Tennessee Williams play. So, <laughs> and you didn't react very well to it, did you? <laughs> no, I did not. I felt like that was uh, that was really an endurance test. Let me just put it that way. It really was. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that's wrong with it. It's uh, for one thing, it's a one act play that's been stretched into an hour and fifty five minute movie, which is way too long for such a thin premise. Uh, you've got Montgomery Cliff, who just two years prior to filming this had been in that horrific accident uh, that he suffered while he was filming Rain Tree County when he was in that car wreck and disfigured him. And uh, he he had somewhat recovered by, by this time, but I think he was addicted to painkillers and it, his performance suffers a little bit. He has kind of a robotic quality, I think, here, and so he doesn't really. I think Liz Taylor. Uh, got him the part, and she they wouldn't even insure him because of his uh, painkiller addiction and and all of that. But she vouched for him, and that's how he got the job. But uh, you know, it was it was nice of her to be such a good friend. But it's just uh, it's and she does the best she can with the material in the movie. And Catherine Hepburn, of course, is there. But it's a lot of speechifying and a lot of just uh talking and talking and talking and not showing just talking <laughs> and uh 
I don't right. like that when when they're when they're doing a play adaptation. I think if you're telling something about something that happened in the past, it, it go it helps the film immeasurably to go back and show that as a flashback while they're telling the story. And there's not a lot of that. They're just telling the story and not showing what happened. They were pretty so, faithful to keeping it as a play. Yes. On film. Yeah. You know, they, so it, that's their yes. that was their goal, I guess, and. It's one yeah. of the rare movies to get nominated for two lead best actress roles in, mm-hmm. in Hepburn mm-hmm. and Taylor. So, uh, you know, uh that's that's yeah. sort of an achievement. But and yeah. I do think they're they're good in it. They're not they're not the reason that the uh that the movie is dull. It's funny, you know, I mean <clears throat> yeah, well it's Joseph Mankiewicz, so you know, he was a pretty talky director, but yes, he uh, was. uh you know, it's funny as much of a reputation as Tennessee Williams has, you know, as a playwright, mm-hmm. the movies from Tennessee Williams' works, you know, they're a mixed bag at best, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you've got things like Baby Doll or, or uh, of course, you know, Streetcar Named Desire. But mm-hmm. then you've got, you know, some other things, you know, that like the two that we're mentioning today that uh, – that that weren't that great, you know, or things like Miss the fugitive, <laughs> yeah, fugitive kind, and and uh, yeah. you know, I sort of like summer and smoke, but then there's period of adjustment that's not mm-hmm. so great. Rose tattoo is okay; uh, it's got some yeah. good stuff in it, but they all all of them have that same sort of like. Oh, it just feels like I don't know. There's something about them that feels rid- ridiculously cliched now. Uh, maybe they were, they must have been huge. They were huge back on stage, I guess. Maybe, maybe it's the, the movies have neutered their power that they, neutered their power that they had on stage because of the, uh, <coughs> censorship and so forth and mm-hmm. the hate code or whatever. Um, so, but, uh, you know, I mean, it just, you know, something like Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which was probably very powerful on stage because they had to cut out all the homosexual content for the movie. It doesn't really work. And uh, it just, I don't know, there's just something about them that uh, mm. I, they don't date well. No, they don't. And uh, suddenly Last Summer suffers from some of that, uh, what you're talking about there with them uh, you know, skirting around the homosexuality. And there's also... Um, cannibalism in the plot, shall we say, where a character mm-hmm. gets torn to pieces and eaten, literally, and they of course, skirt, they kind of skirt around that, and mm-hmm. uh, so I think uh, a lot of these films were made in the 50s when they, they couldn't really address homosexuality and things of that nature head on, and I think that does, that's probably why it's such a mixed bag when you're talking Tennessee Williams adaptations is because of that, I think a lot of that is, is the problem. And mm-hmm. They just could not address the things, the elephant in the room, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. You know, but uh, I'm not sure if they went back and redid some of these plays now, uh, they might do better. Uh, yeah. They could they could tackle these things, but um, anyway. Uh, but one one final uh, Twilight Time is a 2015 film called The Emperor in August, which uh, deals with the um, last days before Japan's surrender at the end of World War II. Uh, uh, 
featuring on the prime minister and the war minister as they contemplate the repercussions of the Potsdam Declaration, which was a failed military coup. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, the, uh, is this a doc? Uh, no, it's a dramatization of these events of the last okay, days right. of World War II. And, uh, but it's uh, Twilight Time occasionally will acquire a more recent title, and so they did with this one. Uh, a couple other things that were released on that day. Night Moves from 1975, uh, one Classic. archive. Yes, I mean, not, not much more you can say about that. Uh, Missing in Action, the Shout Factory. Uh, they have issued a collector's edition of Michigan Action, Missing in Action. Um, Shakes the Clown. Uh, which was one of the first films directed by Bobcat Goldthwait, who I think has actually turned into a pretty interesting director. I've enjoyed some of his output as a director, to be quite honest. He definitely has a voice. Let's just put uh, it that he way. Does. He, he does. You know, I mean, it, it, it's not, I don't think, my thing. I think I think his movies are a little mean. But mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, but that said, you know, he, he, he definitely... He kind of falls into that category of like Todd Salons, that kind of yes. miserable, miserable. Yes. Uh, how do I say this? Miserable, uh, miserableist, miserableist <laughs> movies. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just sort of. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it, it's it's very much a part of that sort of Josh and Benny Safdie kind of thing that we're talking oh, yeah. about. You know, just like everything bad that can happen. <laughs> so, but ah. it, you know. <laughs> Some people love it, so. Yeah, I, I mean, you have to just kind of get on that wavelength, and if you're not on it, I, I would advise not uh, not not investigating. But if you are, and uh, sometimes I am, it depends, and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes I've enjoyed some of these films. Especially I liked World's Greatest Dad, the uh, the one he did with Robin Williams. I really, that's really That's one of his that. better, I think that's yeah. one of his best, yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I do. So, Kino has issued a 50th anniversary edition of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, uh, they've done a brand new scan of the print. This is also notable because it's the first time that they've ever issued the original theatrical cut, which most fans of the film say is the best cut of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, previously, the only version you could get was the restored version, which had the redubbed lines by Eli Wallach and um, uh, Clint Eastwood when they went back and redubbed them some 20 years ago uh, because they okay. lost the audio. But uh, this is the original, and there's a lot of uh, carryover extras from previous editions. So if you're a uh, fan of the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, their 50th anniversary edition has been released. Uh, Shout Factory has issued now, uh, get ready for this one, Hercules from 1983, starring Lou Ferrigno and Sybil Danning. (laughs) I uh, uh, the less said the better. They they released the <laughs> second one too, right? They they released. They surely the, did. Yes. They, they did, did both of them at the same time. So. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's a, you know there are you know eighties versions of of Italian. You know they're both they're Italian, right? So that's the, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they've got that quality to them. Uh, but again, fact, some people just some people love that quality that uh that sort of i don't know there's that quality to the italian films you know with their mm-hmm. use of zoom lenses and uh their you know of course the dubbing and the uh the music mm-hmm. and so forth it, it's funny you know when <clears throat> when i'm searching through movies and just putting on movies on prime that i've never heard of before 
I can tell within a second that the movie's Italian, just by the way the credits are and the like <laughs> the <laughs> Italian. It's just it just looks you know that way. So there's just a certain quality to them that that I think a lot of people like people who like giallo movies and and yeah, uh, and, yeah. and spaghetti westerns and so forth. Mm-hmm. They they like that. So uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah but. Uh, yeah, we can move on. <laughs> oh yeah, well, well, the other one's been released as well, uh, separately. The Adventures of Hercules too. So if you're clamoring for those, oh well, there you go. Uh, Lou needs some money. <laughs> well, how about this Criterion release uh, from 1951, La Poison, uh, which is um, one of those. Dark comedies from 19, the 1951 French filmmaker, writer, and actor Sasha Guitry. Okay. Which I'm uh, not familiar with it. Um, Me neither. So. So. Is but it, anyway. Is it a claim? It has, <laughs> uh yeah, it has a pretty good. Uh, the overall grade that they're giving it is four out of five stars. Uh, so it's getting good. Uh, yeah, the 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 word is good on it. Uh, okay. But I'm, just, I'm not familiar with it, so I'm gonna have to another thing that I'll put on that list to investigate. But I wanted to mention it in case anybody is familiar with it and is a fan. And uh, here's something we can probably get on board with. How about uh, Kino's issue of Barton Fink? Uh, oh, first yeah. time in high definition. Uh, they've got a. They've really done a good job here with the uh, the remastering of the picture, and they've got some nice extras. They've got a John Turturro interview, an uh, interview with Michael Lerner, Ben Barinholtz interview, uh, and the uh, there's a – this is really interesting, I think uh, – interview with uh, composer Carter Burwell and sound editor Skip Leavesay, on, and it's called uh, Headspace, The Inner Sounds of Barton Fink, where they discuss the sound of the film, which mm. uh, I think that's um, you know kind of interesting. Yeah, but Carter Burwell and I – uh, discussed the the uh, the score to Barton Fink mm-hmm. when he was on the show. Right. Uh, so so it is. Uh, I think it's also one of his more fascinating scores because because uh, it's so quiet. It's it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very very uh, quiet uh, menacing score. Um, yeah. But not overtly, like just True. sort of True. gets gets under your skin. But uh, I still maintain that that's the best Coen Brothers movie. I still, I'm pretty much in the minority of thinking that. But uh, that's the movie that just sends my brain into some kind of uh, uh, overdrive when it's playing because I start mm-hmm. uh, making connections in it, and and uh, you know. I, Start, you know, all the stuff talking about the life of the mind and things, things inside your head, and how your head contains everything that you're ever going to own, and uh, it's just a, uh, it's just a one of a kind movie. I, I just, and it's 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 right on the verge of being a horror film almost, and uh, but it's still a film about Hollywood, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's a comedy. Uh, not only a fantastic lead performance from from John Turturro, but an absolutely fantastic supporting performance from John Goodman. Uh, again, great Roger Deakins photography. Uh, um, uh, Dennis Gastner uh, uh, 
art direction, uh, great costumes. Really, everything's just top notch, uh, mm-hmm. and the cast just keeps going on with you know, John Mahoney and and uh, uh, Judy Davis and uh, uh, Tony Shalhoub, uh, uh, Michael Lerner, uh, John Polito. Just uh, amazing, uh, mm-hmm. an amazing movie. If uh, if you've if you've written it off or if you haven't seen it, watch it immediately. Watch it again. Uh, reconsider it. So. Yeah, true, true. I, I love it too. I, I do. Uh, a couple other things here. Whale Rider, the 15th anniversary edition from Shout Factory. <laughs> okay. And, Great lead performance uh, from that girl. Keisha, yeah, Keisha, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Oscar nominated. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about My Blue Heaven, directed by Herbert Ross and starring uh, Rick Moranis and Steve Martin? That's a Warner Archive release. That was that was one that uh, you know I, I know it's got a little bit of a cult following, but I've never watched it. Uh, just there's just something about it. I just I never wanted. To, I, I can't buy uh, Steve Martin in that role, so basically, <laughs> is why I haven't watched it. <laughs> so, but I don't know. Have you seen it? Ah, uh, no, I haven't. Uh, it, it supposedly I uh, have it on the way, and um, I can't wait to to investigate finally because I, I remember when it came out and ever did. Uh, I, I was kind of like you. It wasn't. I didn't. You know, I wasn't necessarily deliberately avoiding it, but it just never. It just never happened, and uh, after all mm-hmm. these years, and uh, it's kind of a comedic take on the uh, the, the same, uh, you know, the Henry Hill story, uh, the same yeah. one that well, they played for straight in Goodfellas, of course. But uh, you know, we'll find out. I guess we can maybe discuss it sometime later on. <laughs> Thoughts okay. On it. Uh, yeah, and there's a this is an interesting curio from 1970 and 1980. Never heard of this one, but a, a company called American Genre Film Archive has released a film called Effects, and it's a horror film with Joe Pilato, Tom Savini, John Harrison, and uh, it's the uh, they're saying that it was cobbled together with loose change by George Romero's friends, and it's a uh, do-it-yourself frightmare that no one talks about. A group mm. of coked-up filmmakers, including Tom Savini, Joe Pilato, and John Harrison gather in Pittsburgh to make a slasher, and his filming begins, and accidents happen. It's clear that something isn't right. So I thought that sounds interesting. It sounds kind of like, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of Scream, but uh, done about 16 years earlier, 1980. Mm. So with the passing of George Romero, and since it has a Romero connection, I thought I'd mention Effects, which is a horror okay. film that is uh, – that is now out, uh, and then we're moving to the final day, uh, release date of the month, which we're coming up on uh, this coming Tuesday. And on that day, we have the Island of Doctor Moreau, the uh, the 1977 version of the Island of Doctor Moreau. Okay, uh, yeah, well, uh, you know. Uh... <laughs> I see that you know my memories of that are are not positive, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, I do remember thinking that the makeup was good. Oh yeah, yeah uh, sure. Because is it like Dick Smith makeup or something like that? I think so. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. have my review copy sitting right here. I haven't had time to to look at it. Although that's what I'm going to do when we finish the show tonight. So <laughs> so I'll be revisiting that very soon. 
lots uh, of lots of interesting character actors in the uh in the roles of the of the monsters uh in it mm-hmm. uh, uh i know that uh, richard Basehart, i seem to remember was one of them and uh that's true uh uh or maybe maybe i'm now i'm looking at the at the list and maybe it isn't a lot of interesting character actors Boar man, bull man, hyena man, lion man, tiger man, bear man. Yeah, maybe maybe it isn't such an interesting cast. (laughs) 